Let thy kingdom come. Build, build your kingdom in our midst. Amen. A little show and tell this morning. I brought this down from my office. This is a brick. Uh, but not just any brick. This brick was uh, from the building that preceded this building, which we are now worshiping. Uh, back in David Cowie's era, they saved this brick as they built this building, thinking that they would build it in somewhere here, but it ended up in my office. I don't know the story. <laughs> I don't know the story. God called Jeremiah at a young age, as we discovered last week, and he called him to be a builder. Uh, but how? Well, in those days, things that mattered were made out of stone. They were uh, built with stone because wood will burn and, and bricks will crumble, but uh, stone lasts. Stone is forever. And if there was something that mattered, you would ultimately want to build it out of stone. And God mattered. So in Jeremiah's day, prior to Jeremiah's day, the temple had been built of stone. It was actually back in the glory days of King Solomon. He had conscripted 30,000 Israelites, hired 70,000 laborers, 80,000 stone cutters, and 3,300 supervisors to build something for God that would last forever. However, in uh, 609 BC, Jeremiah calls all of that into question with a sermon. Scholars call it Jeremiah's temple sermon. God called Jeremiah to go to the temple, to stand in the gate of the temple, so we imagine him just inside of the gate, to the courtyard where everybody would come as they come to worship, and uh, they'd be gathering in this courtyard, and Solomon would raise his voice and preach a message. It was a very, very dangerous message to preach in his day. By the time he was finished with it, uh, a lynch mob had formed, and they tried to kill Jeremiah. You can read what happened that day in Jeremiah 26. You can read the sermon itself in Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 15. So I, I'd like to read it for you, um, and, but I'd invite you to open up a Bible and follow along. So let's pull out the Pew Bible or bring the, the Bible that you brought and turn, please, to Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 15 in the Pew Bible. That's on page 700, no, 617. I'll read this, and when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing Jeremiah's sermon, but also the word of the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you, 
in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, says the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and your ancestors, just what I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, just as I cast out all your kinsfolk, all the offering of Ephraim. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Well, you could see how Jeremiah got in trouble, standing in the temple, preaching a word that predicted its demise. But I want to suggest to you this morning, as we consider this text, that human beings matter. And I think that's how you could summarize the Lord's message at that time. Human beings matter. That's the message in three words. People matter, the Lord essentially says to me. Uh, but in Jerusalem, it had all become about the stones. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's what they're saying three times, almost like a talisman, as though the stones themselves would be magical and protect them. What could go wrong? We have the temple. Wait, God says. This whole thing has never been about the building. Uh, you built the building because I am building a people. A people. People matter to God. We have more construction cranes in Seattle than any other city in America today. Today, the count is 59. You want to build something in Seattle? Get in line. It takes up to eight months to hire a crane, and it will cost you up to $55,000 a month. What are we building? We're building a city, we're building an economy, we're building technology, we're building tunnels and roads and light rail. Who's building a people? Recently, I came across a Facebook thread in a private group in Ballard, and a young man named Clark, late at night, posted this. I moved here three years ago for a job transfer. I moved from NYC. I have no friends still. Three years. Anyone having similar problems like me? I don't know why it's so hard to meet people here. I do meet people here, exchange numbers, but that's where it ended. No response back. All I want to do is cry. And it set off a firestorm of replies and comments and likes. I've been here three years. It's so hard to meet people. I have no friends. All I want to do is cry. According to a recent U.S. census, 
over 1,000 people a week have been arriving here in Seattle and continue to arrive. People like Clark, who come very much alone looking for relationship. David Foster Wallace wrote, we're each deeply alone here. It's what we all have in common, this aloneness. And then he flips the slogan, e unibus plurum, out of one, many, describing the condition of our culture today. Who's building a people? And the answer, of course, is we are. UPC is building a people. I think in our culture, we have a tremendous opportunity right now. And that's why it's so important for us to learn from Jeremiah. The thing about stones is that if you're not careful, you can stumble over them. And Jeremiah offers two warnings in his temple sermon that are important for us to hear. The first is, don't stumble over your pace. Notice Jeremiah's first point is there in verse 3. He says, uh, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell. I would translate that, make your ways and your practices good. It's the Hebrew word for good there. Make your ways and your practices good so that I may abide with you. Well, what ways and practices? We find out in verse 5. Jeremiah is a very good preacher. He tells you what he's going to tell you, and then he tells you. And the first uh, two points are elaborated in his introduction, and then he, he develops the first point in verses 5 through 7. So these are the ways. He says, for truly, if you truly amend your ways and your doings, then he describes uh, people, uh, four different types of people, your neighbor, a person in need, your adversary, and yourself. Kind of reminds us of the teaching of Dr. King. Practice justice, he says, between you and your neighbor. In other words, pursue peace with your neighbor. People, because your neighbor matters. Care for the person in need. And then there's the classic list of needy people in Israel represented, not exclusively by, but represented by the migrants, the orphan, and the widow. These were people in need. These were people for whom God cared. They mattered. And so care for these people, Jeremiah says. And then thirdly, respect your adversary. Do not pour out innocent blood means really don't punish somebody just because they disagree with you. Respect them. And then fourthly, don't harm yourself. And I think it's interesting to see this. Don't harm yourself, he says, by making anything more important in your life than God, the one who loves you, the one who made you, because your life matters to God. Now, here's what I know about myself. When the pace of life accelerates, my relationships suffer. The quality of my relationships go down. My daughter and my wife are here, and they can give that an amen. When I get busy, I get surly at times or uh, just neglectful of the people that really matter in my life. When I'm busy, I don't have time for my neighbor. When I'm exhausted, I can't help meet the needs of other people. When I'm so focused on my work or my individual purposes, then I don't take the time to understand those with whom I might disagree or have other uh, perspectives. When I am busy uh, or, or working too hard, I don't have space in my life for God. And uh, you sociologists and some physicians refer to this today as hurry sickness, and I think I have it. I think our city has it. But notice what God's intent is for his people in Jerusalem, so that I may abide with you. 
mend your ways and practices so that I may abide with you. And I'm mindful of, of our Lord Jesus, who in John 15 says, abide in me as I abide in you. He's talking to his disciples at a table as they recline. He says, abide in my love. Love one another. Make time for relationship to love each other. Or I think of uh, Mary and Martha. Mary sits at Martha's feet, and, uh, of Jesus' feet, and Martha is worried and distracted by so many things. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, only one thing is needed, and your sister has found it. Come and sit at my feet and just be. You see, people who build a people have to have time for people. People matter. So don't stumble over your pace. And the other thing is don't stumble over your past. Seems that Jeremiah is very insistent on this point, his second point. We see it first identified in verse 4 where it says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. And then he develops that in verses 8 through 15. Remember, he says here, you're trusting in deceptive words. In verse 8, he's going to develop this point. Essentially, what he's saying is that the building, this temple, will not protect you from harm. A hundred years ago, God defended this temple in the day of Isaiah as the Syrians came down. It was a rather remarkable miracle, and so they could be forgiven for thinking that God would do it again in his day. It's just so that they don't have the faith now that they had a hundred years ago. They've become lax, and they've turned away from the God of the temple. Don't think that the stones would save you. And he points to Bethel, where the Ark of the Covenant had rested in Samuel's day. And he says, just go look, you know, take a little tour if you want. And what you'll find is uh, nothing much but an Assyrian province and weeds. It's gone. And the same thing will happen here, too, he warns. The point here, I think, is that we cannot live in the past. We need faith for today. Our future is not in the building. It's in what God is building I think the people who are most likely to stumble over the past are people who've been successful in the past. And I think that for two reasons. First of all, when you're successful, when you've been successful in the past, you have a false sense of your own strength. We see that here. The people are saying, we are safe. They feel it's kind of in, in that, in, among these stones, they're impenetrable. We are safe. When I came to UPC, I heard somebody say, you know, here at UPC, we say, we are so large we make our own weather, almost like we were Mount Rainier. And I never quite cared for that, honestly. I, I say, you know, we have to be very careful about that way of thinking, that our size somehow or that our history somehow makes us impervious to the challenges of a changing culture and a changing world. We cannot rest in the faith of our forebearers. God calls us to faith today. And I think our future is less dependent on our strength than it is on our ability to manage our weakness by giving it into the hands of Jesus and allowing him to be our strength. I think that those who are successful are most likely to stumble over their past because, secondly, success can stifle innovation. You've done something really well, it's worked really well, and that's what you know how to do. And so you tend to circle the wagons around that one thing and protect it and defend it against anything new. Here the Israelites cannot hear God when he says, when I called you, you did not answer. I'm calling you to a new thing. You're, you seem deaf. 
Six words that are a sure sign of demise. You've heard this before. We've always done it that way. I read recently, traditions are like lampposts. They light the way we're supposed to follow, but only drunkards hold on to them. (laughs) And as I look at the church's response to a changing culture in the world today, I think the biggest mistake that churches are making is they're fighting for their own institutional survival. And I think the moment that, that a church's institutional survival becomes its mission is the moment it ceases to be a church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus does not call us to ourselves, he calls us to others. Our future is in the mission of Jesus as he continues to work it out in the world today. That's the great adventure. That's always been the adventure to which UPC has pointed. People who build people have to pay attention to the present because that's where people live and people matter. So how do we build people today? This is the question that your elders are asking. What is Jesus calling us to? And we're gonna talk more about this starting March 10th. But I, for me, it's been in, intriguing to think of Jeremiah as an 18-year-old. Remember I told you last week, he was probably about 18 years old, like a college freshman when God calls him, this young man. Gets me thinking about 18-year-olds today. He would have been, uh, if he were here today in that age, he'd be Generation Z. It's the largest generation currently alive in American history. 26% of, of America right now Generation Z. And what we know about Generation Z is the people in that generation are typically not looking for a church. Attendance is down since 1960s in America. The Pew uh, Foundation tells us now that in America there are four former Christians for every new convert to Christianity. That's not a good trend line. We were talking about this a little bit at pre- our Presbytery meeting this week, and I thought our executive Presbytery had a good analogy. He goes, the, the, the trends in American Christianity are a little bit like global warming right now. It's accelerating faster than we realize, and it's much more complicated. It's a challenge for us that we face as followers of Jesus Christ. I think Clark is instructive, this young man in Ballard, and the 1,000 like him who are gathering. He says, I have no friends. All I want to do is cry. People are not looking for a church, but what if we were a church looking for people? Building relationship with people, no matter who they were, or what they were like, or where they were from, saying to people, you matter. You matter to me because you matter to God. And especially a people who live with the ways and practices that Jeremiah commends in Jerusalem that day in 609. People of justice. People who live with and like Jesus. I can't help but believe that Clark and his colleagues would be drawn to such a community or such communities. Ultimately, Jeremiah's sermon points us forward to Jesus. If you think about it, you'll realize that Jesus preached a very similar message to Jeremiah's in exactly the same place. Remember, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. They, by the way, Jeremiah, that temple was destroyed and was then rebuilt And Jesus says, it's going to be torn down again, as it is by the Romans in AD 70. But not just because their message is similar, but but Jesus himself claims to be the fulfillment of everything that the temple is, that place of reconciliation between God and human beings, that place where God's reconciliation starts to permeate the reconciliation of all humanity. Jesus says, I am the new temple, raised up in three days. But not just because Jesus is the new temple, 
because Jesus promises to be the cornerstone of a new people. And because Jesus raised up builders, builders like Peter. Remember Peter? Remember what his name means? Rock. Petras. Peter knows something about stones, and he knows something about building. He was there when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. This profession of faith in Jesus, on the good news, I will build my church. And look at Peter build. That's what he does. He goes on building. So we have a letter. I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter. David read it earlier, but I just want you to see this beautiful letter. This, is a, this letter is an example of Peter as builder. If you turn to page 984, you'll see the text that was read earlier. Actually, flip back at 983, you'll see the audience to whom he writes. He begins his letter by saying, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion. He's writing to churches uh, that are spread out around Asia Minor. All these cities are there, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are communities, and Peter is writing to them to build them up, to edify them, to construct them not just as individuals, but as witnessing communities to the resurrected Jesus Christ. What is he building? Human buildings in local neighborhoods around Asia Minor. Who are the stones? Well, they're living stones, we see. If you look at page 984 and uh, chapter 2, verse 4, come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone. Now he's alive. He's in our midst. Jesus is here. He's as solid and as secure and as eternal as stone was in Jeremiah's day, but he's alive. Jesus is the living stone. And then he says, he's choice and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. You also are living stones. You are in him as secure, as choice and precious, and as eternal as Jesus is. He's the cornerstone. And we are fitted into a beautiful new temple, one next to the other. Peter's conception is that this temple is being built wherever Jesus is being proclaimed around Asia Minor in these various cities. How are they being built up into a temple? Well, by connecting together. He says, let yourselves be built, that's verse 5, into a spiritual house. We have to connect to Jesus, say yes to him, as we said last week, and then we connect to other people. Other stones, because they matter. This house gets built as people connect to Jesus, and as people connected to Jesus connect to other people. Human beings building human buildings. This is Jesus' work. Peter knows it. He's doing it right now. Peter knows it. So Peter's engaging. He's participating. He's joining that work is simply as just by writing this letter and encouraging these believers to link together with one another and with Jesus. Now, you can't do this by yourself. This isn't a passage of Scripture that you can obey alone. Just you, you're just a stone. And you say, well, I know, it's not just me, it's me and Jesus. Well, you and Jesus are two stones in this metaphor. That's a wall, not a building. But you plus Jesus plus others become this human building in which God's glory is made known, in which heaven and earth and the reconciliation of Jesus Christ is joined together and presented to others. What would that look like for us? 
I want to commend to you a practice this week, much like I did last week, and I would call it spiritual friendship. I define spiritual friendship as two people in relationship, always in the presence of a third. That third person is Jesus, who's present but not visible when you're intentionally engaging in spiritual friendship. And the movements of this, I, I would suggest to make it more memorable, are these. Go, slow, know, and glow. Go is the first step. It's to go connect with a human being. You've got to find someone and ask the Holy Spirit, who have you put in my life? Somebody at work, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family. Connect. Go connect with a human being. And then slow. Slow your life down. Remember the pace. Enough to build a friendship. Friendship takes time. Time, talk, trust, intimacy. And then know, know who they really are. And the key verb here is listen, 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 listen. Listen to their fears, listen to their dreams till you can say back to them who they are and they go, wow, you really know me. And then finally and fourthly, mostly because it rhymes, glow. Glow with the presence of Jesus. And I think the key verb here is to pray. Pray for, for your friend and be intentional and faithful in prayer for them. Even when they're not around, but you might ask, could I pray for you about this issue? Let them know you're praying for them. And with time, you might even ask, would you like to pray with me? And yes, you can do this with believers, but I think the power comes and the growth of the church comes when we do it with people who don't yet know that they have faith in Jesus Christ. And then they're being built into a new human building, a spiritual building, a priestly building, as Peter calls it. Well, we've built a lot over a century at UPC, but what we need to build now is human buildings. We built our first building in 1912, two years before the Smith Tower, just up the street here. Our next building adjacent to it was 1915. This building you're in was built in 1952, one year before the Alaskan Wave Viaduct was built. And then in 2018, we built the Palmer House. And we're so excited about that. But the buildings were never the mission. The people were. The facilities facilitate the ministry, which is all about people. I love the human buildings that we've built over the years. Just the names of them are evocative to me. Some of you will remember these names. These are human buildings. Christian Endeavor Societies. Endeavor. Skymasters. Koinonia. Calvin Club. Ambassadors, Voyagers, they sound like frequent flyer programs to me. <laughs> Couriers, we are in Seattle, right? Discoverers, The Inn, Cornerstone, Second Wind, Convergence, Global Friends. My favorite example of this was during the Depression. During the Depression, the church grew by more than a third in 10 years. And you know how they did it? It had to do with community building community in the neighborhoods of Seattle. It was really the ladies. The Ladies' Aid Society took the lead. And here I'm just reading the historical documents of the church. The church reached out into the community and into the world. The Ladies' Aid Society built these neighborhood-based communities all around Seattle. The records say small groups of members or circles were created to promote closer friendship. Formed on a geographical basis, I'm re just reading historical record here, the circles took the names indicated by locales, Central, University, Latona, Roosevelt, Laurelhurst. And in the thick of the Depression, here were these circles connecting with Jesus and connecting with their neighbors to connect them to Jesus. 
They started to give tangible care. They started to contend with their neighbors in the face of the challenges that the city faced at that time. And people came to know Jesus and the church grew. Wouldn't you like to be a part of something like that in our day? I know I would. Like Jesus said, even the stones are going to shout out. Look out, Clark in Ballard, here we come. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a sweet, joyful, eternal fellowship you are in yourselves, three and yet one. Thank you that you have opened up the mystery of this communion and invited us to join you. Empower us now as we open that door to others across this city. In your name, amen.